Oh, good morning. Good to see you. How are you feeling today? You can just tell me. That's okay. Good, good. Nice. Sorry about that in the back. You know, um, we don't, you don't have to feel great to come to church, by the way. You don't have to have it all together to be here. It's probably sometimes better if you realize that you're not doing that well and you don't have it all together. You know, God can do a lot with you uh, if you just let him. And what I love is that we all have different gifts and we all are able to help one another where we are weak. Uh, some of us are strong in other areas, and some of us are weak in those same areas. That's kind of how God created us. And when we get together, we're all strong, even though we're weak. That's what Jesus does for people. So it's good to be here, because there are people around you that can help and love. Uh, so let's begin our sermon today by thanking God for that, and thanking God for you. Um, let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. We always start our, I start my prayers with gratitude because I know that you have given us a lot. Thank you for giving us one another. Lord, we all are members of the same body and every member belongs to the others and we are thankful for that. Thank you for allowing, for allowing us to have faults so that we know we're not perfect. Lord, we know we need one another, especially when it comes to living our life especially when it comes to planning the future you have laid out for us, for achieving the mission and doing the work that we have been called to do. We need one another. We can't do it alone. So thank you for that. This morning I pray that you'd open our hearts and eyes and minds that we can hear. And when we leave today, we'll be just a little bit different. Lord, transformed a little bit more into your image. Inspire us, encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I went to school in Arlington, and I remember that our seniors had a tradition. It's something that we did every year. Now, it was a smaller school. It was kind of it was a private school. We had about four or five hundred people in the school. I had graduated with a class of thirty-seven, so it's it's kind of tiny. But we had a tradition. Our seniors, every spring of our senior year, we would, they would pour a big slab of concrete, and the seniors would put their hands in there, and they would make imprints. Uh, we'd write our names in there, and whatever, you know, witty things I could come up with. We would do that so that people would remember that we actually went to school there. Um, I remember that was a big deal for me. I wanted to make sure that, I, that people knew I was there. There's something to be said about coming across something that had your name on it. For example, whenever I was sixth grade, I had a chance to get disciplined for the first time. And you may not know anything about this, teens, but they actually used to hurt you in school. And it was legal. <laughs> Parentally sanctioned pain. I guess it was a good thing, because uh, it only happened to me once, um, but I remember, I remember that I got in there, and they had the paddle. It wasn't a normal paddle. It was the one with the holes in it for aerodynamic precision, you know, <laughs> um, and I remember that my administrator says, here you go, you know, and I, we, we did the, the, the SWATs. That's what they called them. I guess that makes it better, SWATs, um, and I remember he said, well, here you go. You can sign the paddle. Hey, <laughs> that's pretty good. 
I was a moment, right? I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, I was crying like a little girl. But I remember <laughs> thinking, this is great. I could put my name on it. So I went and I looked at the paddle, and in three places was my brother's name. He beat me to it. <laughs> so it was still cool, but, but you know, I don't know how many people saw my name after that, after that moment. But I remember that, that moment I got to put my handprints into that cement, and I, I signed my name, and... And I, may, I think he even drew a face, just trying to be Scott, the, the neat guy, uh, just so that people 10, 20, 30 years later would know that I was there. Of course, you know how things go. Legacies are temporary whenever they're attached to temporary things. You know, and a few decades later, I remember uh, seeing a picture of this great place that I had all of my memories and there's a new legacy being built now. Do y'all see that? Do y'all know what that is? ATT Stadium. That building was our administration building. And however many acres were there are now parking lot 15B for the stadium. It's kind of sad, isn't it? And there were people who came and they got those big, they actually dug up those big cement blocks and took them to their house. I don't know how they did that. But I remember thinking, you know, after I, after I saw this, I thought, well, there goes that legacy. Now people may not know I ever went to school. <laughs> but when I, when, I, when I think of legacy, there's a lot attached to that word. In my young, you know, teenage mind way back then, I had this idea that one day I'd come back. But, but legacy is a pretty heavy word. How, how is your legacy looking to those people who will stay after you've gone? Have you ever wondered how you might be remembered? Will your presence leave a mark? And if so, how? Today I wanted to talk about this idea of legacy, and I wanted to talk about it through a story in John chapter 21. So turn to John chapter 21, and as you're turning there, I want you to ask yourself, what kind of mark am I leaving? And I want you to watch this video as you turn to John chapter 21. Let's play that. What kind of legacy are you leaving for your family, for your church? For those people you work alongside, are we leaving a legacy of temporary stuff? Or maybe we're leaving a legacy of faith or, or purpose, mission, and listening to the sounds of the little ones that are around here, that run around this place. What are we leaving for them, for the generations that will follow? So let me set up John 21 here. So John 21, Jesus, he, he died, he rose again, and he appeared to his closest friends. But here we are just a short time later, and we find these apostles back in their old way of life. Now, have you ever had a moment when resurrection wasn't really enough for you? The idea wasn't really enough? to push you to the next place. For these apostles, even with Jesus and everything that they have experienced, with everything that they've declared and have done, 
I can, I can identify. They found themselves going back to their old way of life, their old way of doing things. And these apostles had gone back to their old system, the thing that they knew what they were doing. They knew how to do it. They were fishing. And we're back. Let's read. John 21, verses 1 through 6. It says this, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. It's not just a few of them. I mean, this is, this is a majority of these, of these guys. Uh, Simon Peter told them, uh, he says, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Jesus shows up and watches these guys men struggling with their old way of life they're doing things their way they're getting nowhere and sometimes you know sometimes life is like that isn't it you just keep doing the same things over and over again no matter how much resistance these men are getting they keep going they're gonna make it happen they aren't thinking about the future necessarily i mean they're thinking about survival but they're not necessarily thinking about what they've been called to do but then jesus shows up and he tells them to do things just a little bit differently try it my way for a moment he says and then they do it and what follows is considered the miracle of fish but it would never have happened if these men had continued in their own way of doing things it wasn't wrong for them to be fishing fishing's a very you know, it's a very respectable profession back then. You needed fish, and it, it served a lot of people. But for these men, Jesus had called them to something else. He had given them a whole new assignment. Now, in the previous chapter, John, in, in chapter 20, verse 21, he has his moment of great commission uh, that he talks about. And this is what he says. Um, he describes it, And Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the, fa- as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So we know that these men had been called to something else, and that their assignment was now this. It was an assignment that was really... A holy one. It was going to pave the way for generations yet unborn. But where were they? Gone fishing. Back to their old way. And I would have to say, I don't think they fully understood just how important they were to the kingdom of God. So what happens next? Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into that water. And even though Peter saw the risen Jesus, even though he had Jesus breathe the Spirit on him, even though he had this moment, he's still pushing through his old way of life. But there's still a spark left of Peter. And Peter, you know what he'd done. And even though Jesus came back and he saw him, I wonder how much of Peter's guilt was still being worn by him. 
There's still a spark left of, in Peter, a spark of hope, a desire for something more than just surviving. And this man who walked on water and then started to drown because he took his eyes off Jesus, he jumps into the water. Granted, he's only 100 yards from shore, but I wonder if this time, if he wasn't looking at Jesus that entire 100 yards. So they meet, and Jesus makes them breakfast. And then this interchange happens. This is verse 15. He says this, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus has this chance to inspire his followers and he starts with Peter. Now remember, Peter betrayed Jesus the night before he was crucified, and this is equally as disturbing as what Judas did. But Jesus had forgiven, and it's time to restore, to reconcile Peter to this new way, this new kingdom of God. And Peter, he had become this leader here. He was probably the oldest and strongest among these men, which means he may not have realized just how much influence he carried. So when Peter and Jesus had this moment. Jesus didn't simply say, ah, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It happens to the best of us. No, this wasn't about making sure this relationship wasn't uncomfortable. Remember, Jesus had already spent time with them and commissioned them. And Peter may not have thought he was qualified or worth this great commission that he'd been given. So, so, so Peter, Jesus takes extra time with Peter here, extra care as he does with us. And this is what he says to bring him back and point him forward to what he's supposed to do. He gives him a mission. He gives him a purpose. He doesn't say, you love me? Okay, good, thanks. He says, no, I'm going to give you a mission and a purpose. This is what he says. He says, feed my lambs. Care for my sheep. Feed my sheep. He wasn't just teaching them about survival here. Jesus is teaching these men about living in such a way that you leave the people of God better when, than when you found them. That when you enter someone's life, when you leave their life, they are going to be better, stronger, closer to God Himself. I mean, this is about... Jesus, this is about His people. This is about the legacy of Christ. And legacy is found when we realize that we have a mission and a purpose. And what is our purpose? Our purpose is to love Christ, to love and pay attention to His disciples, His people, to make disciples. Younger ones, older ones. You know, when you think about feeding lambs, lambs are so cute. 
You can't just feed a lamb anything, trust me. You can't feed them steak. I mean, I know this is kind of maybe a weird conversation. You can't feed them just anything. You've got to feed them exactly what's going to help these things because they're so young and delicate. You can't just feed anything to a baby. Although my in-laws love to feed my daughter Diet Coke until she was three years old. Oh, it's funny. It's cute. I remember that moment. Oh, we're not going to let Liv have anything sweet until she's one. And her, her parents looked at each other like, uh-oh. <laughs> they, they would feed her a lot. And you can't do that with just anybody. You can't feed a little baby just anything. You've got to feed babies things that will help them to grow. And sometimes those are things that are more delicate, food that's gentle. And, and then he says, not only feed my lambs, he says, care for my sheep. And, and it, I'm sure several of you have probably worked with animals, but working with animals takes time and attention. And when you care, sometimes it's not always convenient. But when you care, you're showing what it means to love. And the things you're caring for, the animals, the people you're caring for may not love you back. And they may get irritated because you're trying to care for them, even though they may not want that. But our job, what he's telling Peter, care, love, spend time, know them. To care is to know, is to walk with them. It's to, to heal them. It's to lead them. And when you're cared for, you feel safe. And when you feel safe, you're free to learn. You're free to grow. You're free to experience explore love and i believe that when you care to care for the people of god to care for somebody is to realign them with who they are in god who they were meant to be and then he says feed my sheep leading sheep to greener pastures to fertile land knowing what they need to eat and when for some, knowing when it's time to start switching to more nutritious food. Knowing when it's time to cut back to healthier food. And in the worst case, no food means that your sheep will starve. And when any living thing starves, it begins to live in survival mode. It begins to make irrational choices. It lashes out in fear. It fights. It begins to eat anything that looks like food. In fact, some of these things will even eat refuse. Hallucinations follow. Without food, your body starts digesting itself, trying to just use anything it can. So he's telling him, feed my sheep so they can grow and reproduce. Be free to pursue the life that they were meant to live. To leave their own legacy of faith. Feed, care, feed. Jesus here gives Peter not only a commission, not only a mission, not only a purpose. He, give, he tells him how to leave something behind that's greater than himself. But it couldn't be approached by doing his old way, following his old life, continuing in Jesus, continuing in what God has called us to, is to care, is to be fully present with people. And if we look through this metaphor, I think what we see is that, you know, 
It means how to care for someone. It means how to show them how to engage in difficult, dangerous world in the way of Jesus. You know, it, it shows people how to be grateful, to be thoughtful, to be servants. You know, Jesus gives these, these disciples purpose. And, and I can only imagine Peter leaving that breakfast that morning with a new mindset, a new mission, a renewed purpose that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And maybe God will use me, and, and maybe God will leave a mark. Maybe God will leave a mark of His own. Not my mark, but His mark on the world. And the question I've been asking myself is, really, what kind of mark am I leaving? Am I leaving something that's temporary? Am I leaving my own mark, or am I leaving the mark of Jesus on the world? And here's a question that we don't typically answer. Are we being good ancestors? to our family, to our church? When things go well, are we thankful? When things go poorly, do we despair? When something needs to be done, do we complain that no one's doing it, or do we stand up and help out? Do we demonstrate to this next generation of family that this is important? What happens here matters, or do we tell them that everything else comes first before this place? Do we pay attention? Are we fully present? And do we feed one another? Do we care for one another? So this is what I'll ask you. Are you doing your best to leave this legacy of brick and mortar, of finance and empire, fame, wealth? Because you will leave a mark. Which one will you leave? came across an interesting quote by George Orwell. You don't typically hear quotes by George Orwell in church, but I'm going to give you one. If you know his works, they're somewhat dystopian, and it paints a bleak picture of the future. But this is what he says. A thing which I regret and which I will try to remedy sometime is that I've never in my life planted a walnut. Nobody does plant them nowadays. When you see a walnut, it's almost invariably an old tree. If you plant a walnut, you're planting it for your grandchildren. And who cares about their grandchildren? How many times in our day are our actions, how many times do we consider our future, those people who will come after by the things we do right here and right now? In that video, it just kind of sums it all up you're going to leave a mark what if the mark was one of love and care and concern discipleship are we back and forth through our old way of life or can we stop and take a moment to consider the legacy of faith that we're leaving for those people who will come after us the results of the seeds we plant today, we may never ever see. We may just be planting something today that our grandchildren will thoroughly enjoy. But the opposite may happen too. The actions that we make today could be a curse on our grandchildren. And it is your choice. So my encouragement to you today is to know you've been called to something more. You've been called to something greater. You have a commission from God himself, and that is 
to love, to feed, to care. And the legacy you leave will be eternal. So as we sing, I want you to take a moment and ask that God remind you of those things that you need to maybe change or the new life you need to enter into. Let's stand together and sing. I'm here if you need me to to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. Precious.